You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone that's watching this video tonight. Uh, Everyone who's watching this video at any point, whenever they see this or if they're listening to this on the podcast. Again, I thank you that there is no distance or time or space in your anointing. Um, I thank you that your word says as we hear your word and sit at your feet, you will be a savior for all of us. That part will never be taken from us. So tonight, I thank you, whoever's listening to this. Father, I thank you that faith comes by hearing. So tonight, I thank you that faith, a fresh, uh, fresh growth of faith will happen in everybody's heart and everybody's life right now to believe that you are still protecting us. You are still watching over us. And even though there's a lot to be afraid of in the world, we are not of this world. Yes, we are in it, but we are not of it. We are in you. And in you, we don't have any reason to be afraid. In you, we can rest and know that you are our heavenly father. And that because you love us, you are watching over us, protecting us. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, anyways, let's dive into it. I've been asking our church uh, every um, to for the last two or three weeks to read Psalm 91 every day. Go back, just read Psalm 91. Um, and if you have something you want to say, comment, question, something like that, Feel free to jump in, type that up. Uh, I have the screen in front of me here, and I have a camera here, so I'll be able to see it. Not on my personal one, but on the church one, I can see that, so I can uh, respond to that one. But anyways, we ask our church, everyone, to read Psalm 91 once a day, every day, throughout this whole crisis, and just let the Lord build faith in you. Um, But out of all that, the reason why I'm pushing that and starting with that was this. One of the things we're believing for in our church is that God is protecting everyone in our church. Uh, we can't say that for everybody in the city of Charlotte. We can't say it for everyone in America, um, North Carolina, or the whole world. We can't say it for everyone. But what we can say is God's promise to the righteous is this. There is uh, no weapon formed against you. There is no weapon formed against you will prosper. And the reason why is he says, because your righteousness is from me, says the Lord in Isaiah 54. So what happens is this. God wants you to believe that there's nothing that can hurt you, that there's nothing that can harm you. Yes, the world will be against you. And yes, Satan, or I'm sorry, our enemy will create all kinds of different types and forms of weapons to try and hurt you, to try to kill you and your family, to try to destroy your testimony so that people look at you and say, well, if God didn't do it for you, why is he going to do it for me? Your enemy wants to do that to make your heavenly father look bad. All right. A lot of times it's not even about you. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, trouble comes because of the word. He didn't say trouble comes because you're a good person or because you've done a lot of good things. Problems come because the word of God is being put into you. And as the word, if you understand the context of that parable, as the word of God grows in you and starts to bear fruit in you, as the things you're hearing start to happen in your life, what happens is the enemy realizes you're bearing fruit and everyone is going to see that your heavenly father is good. They're going to want him as well. So what he tries to do is he tries to destroy you and your testimony in the process because he knows if people see you, they're going to see your heavenly father. In fact, let me say it this way. If people see what God is doing in you, they're going to see your savior. And that's the whole point. So everything that happens to the believer is really not because you've done anything good or you've done anything bad. It's because the word of God is being planted in you. So I encourage our church, believe God for more. Don't just believe God uh, 
you know, oh, Lord, I hope everyone in my family is going to be fine. I believe God for more. Be a mature child of God. Believe God for more. Believe he wants to protect you. But anyways, our, our declaration for our church is because you are not right with God because, by what you have done. You are right with God because of what Jesus did for you. Again, it's not your obedience. It's the obedience of Jesus Christ. It's not your um, all the good things that you did this week or even today. It's all the good things Jesus did. You see, Jesus, he, he came, he lived a perfect life. And in his perfection, when the time came for him to receive the reward for his perfection, God turned around and gave us Jesus's reward of a lifetime of perfection, the, the reward for a lifetime of perfection. Then he took our lifetime uh, of sin, our lifetime of mistakes. Then he took all that and he put it on Christ. And at the cross, Jesus received a lifetime of all our sin in his physical body there. So that now, excuse me, so that now we could receive a lifetime of his blessing, perfection, health, wholeness, and everything else that God has for us. So today, the the, the, the struggle, or I'm saying the battle, let me use that term, the church term, the battle isn't so much um, uh, trying to find out what to do to get it. The battle, Je I'm sorry, not Jesus. Paul says the battle is called the, the battle of faith, so to speak. I'm, I'm using that term loosely because I can't remember the exact quoting or the exact wording. But the point is, it's a, it's a, it's a struggle of faith, a battle of faith, so to speak, to believe that God has made you right, to believe that God has given you everything Jesus deserves, to believe that God is crediting you with everything that Jesus deserves. And if you can believe that, you can win the war. You don't have to lose. You don't just have to go through life and say, well, I hope I'm not like everyone else. I hope what happened to them didn't happen to me. God made a way for you to get on the safety boat and then get you out of there altogether so that you can be in the world, but not of the world. So anyways, that's a whole other story. I'm not going to get on that. We're already 16 minutes in this. We haven't got to the first verse. So let's dive into it. Um, let's look at it. Let's start in Genesis chapter 15. If you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 15. And again, it's going to sound a lot like last Sunday, but bear with me. We're trying to go somewhere different this morning. We're going to start there, hit Romans 4, and keep going. Now, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, and we're, we're continuing our conversation on God's protection in the middle of this whole coronavirus or the COVID-19, whatever uh, term you want to use on that. In Genesis chapter 15, what happens is um, Abraham uh, was called by God. Uh, God calls him. He says, look, I want you to step away from your family. Leave everybody. Follow me. I'll make you great. I'll bless you. Everyone who blesses you. I will bless them as well. And anyone who tries to curse you, I will curse them. I'll be your shield. I'll be everything you need. Just leave your family. Go to a place that I'm going to give you. So Abraham packs up. He leaves. He takes you know, his wife, everything he owns, and he takes his nephew Lot. And God never told him to do that. But anyways, Abraham, and I love Abraham's story because Abraham is a lot like you and me in this way. The Ten Commandments had not yet been given from God. The law had not yet been given from God. So because the law hadn't been given from God, Abraham was just like all of us, not under the law. He was under God's grace, meaning God was never going to address one of his mistakes to him. For example, God told Abraham, don't go down to Egypt. There's a famine coming. Don't go down to Egypt. Guess what Abraham does? He goes down to Egypt. When he gets down to Egypt, he, he realizes that his wife is beautiful and he realizes that someone's going to think she must be his sister or if it's his wife, let's kill Abraham so we can have her. So Abraham comes up with this plan. Let's lie to everyone and tell them that you're my sister instead of believing that God would protect him and his wife. Do you see my, see my point? Instead of believing God, he chose to lie instead. So lying is a sin. Clearly, we're not going to go there, but lying is a sin. So in that moment, the king takes Abraham's wife. 
And God comes to the king in a dream and he says, you and everyone in this palace is dead because you took that man's wife. And the king looks at God and says, God, it wasn't my fault. I didn't know. He told me it was his sister. And you have this moment where you realize God knew. God wasn't stupid. God knew what Abraham did. And in fact, God tells him, he says, I know. I know what Abraham told you, but you better give him his wife back. Now, again, when you're under grace, I'm not saying that you can just sin and do whatever you want. But when you're under grace, God will never deal with you based on your mistakes. He will always deal with you based on the perfection of Jesus Christ. Again, Abraham was the one that was wrong, but God didn't deal with Abraham based on what he did wrong. God dealt with Abraham based on what someone else would do right in his place down the road. And that was Jesus. So now that you're a believer, let me say this for everyone who's watching this and, and you're a believer, know this. God is not dealing with you based on your sin. God is dealing with you based on the perfection of Jesus Christ and everything that Jesus did perfect. So now when you make a mistake, you don't go to God and say, oh, God, please, please forgive me. Oh, God, please. Oh, God, forgive me. Forgive. Now go to God and say, God, I thank you. Father, I thank you that Jesus already paid for this mistake so that in this moment I could receive what Jesus deserved. It's one of those things, and I'll try to be really careful because uh, I don't know who who will watch this, <laughs> but I want to be really careful. But in all the mistakes I've made, even in the last year to two years, of all the mistakes I've made, I can't tell you how many times I run to run run to the Lord in prayer. I step away for a moment, whether it's from my job or at my house or whatever it is. I step away for a moment, and I just go to God, and I say, I know that I deserve for the worst-case scenario to happen because I did this. But I'm asking you, I'm not even asking, I'm believing you that you're going to turn this whole thing around for my good. Because in this moment, I will get what Jesus deserves. Not because I've done something for it, but I will get what Jesus deserves because Jesus took what I deserve. And that is the essence of grace. So again, we haven't even really hit the first verse. <laughs> so the context, Abraham is like you and me. He's a man that's right with God by faith, not by what he did, but by what he believed. So anyways, in Genesis chapter 14, uh, I'm going to breeze through this story. Lot's nephew gets captured by four kings. So Abraham gets his 300 men together who are actually servants. They're not soldiers. They're servants. And he puts swords in their hands and he says, let's go get my nephew Lot. And they hunt down the four different kings. And when they get to the four different kings location, um, they end up fighting them. They overpower four different kings with four different militaries. They win this insane battle. Never should have won. Clearly, God is for Abraham. Uh, and he wins. He gets back his, his nephew Lot. And at the end of it, he gives the money back to the kings. And the kings say, well, take some of it for yourself. And he says, no, no, no. I don't want anyone to be able to say that we made Abraham wealthy. Only God gets that credit. So he gives them back their money, knowing that God can make him wealthy. I love that story. So anyways, you come to chapter 15. It says, after everything that happened, it says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, or Abram, his name hasn't changed yet. It says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Now, one more time, verse one, he says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, what we were sharing last Sunday is this. The interesting thing about this is that both are actually one and the same. Or let me say it this way. Both come hand in hand. When God presents himself as your shield, that means he is your reward. One more time. And let me say it this way. Now, before I say it a different way, let me say it this way. Great reward. Your exceedingly great reward actually could be translated as this. I am your provision, your exceedingly abundant provision. Or let me say it this way. I am your exceedingly abundant supply. Now, in today's day and age, we need to know that. That's, <laughs> that's something that you can't let slip by. In fact, with the, with the initial outbreak of the, of the COVID-19 virus, 
the initial outbreak, the first thing that disappeared on the shelves was toilet paper. Go down the line, the next things, you know, I mean, I can't remember everything, but I mean, it just, everything started disappearing. And in the middle of all this chaos and fear of what was coming, the, the fear of the unknown, no one knew what was coming, no one knew how it was going to hit. I mean, we were learning about it day by day, what the symptoms were and, and what's going to happen to you and how many people are dying here and there and all this craziness in the middle of it. Right here, God is telling someone who's just like you, someone who's just like me, not under the law, under grace. He's telling that person, hey, I am your, I am your shield. One, I will protect you. But number two, I am your exceedingly abundant provision. Now, if you want me to be your shield, guess what? I'm going to automatically be your provision as well. You cannot separate the two. They come hand in hand. In order for God to be your provision, he comes in also and says, you have to let me be your provision. As well. I'm sorry, if you want me to be your protection, your shield, you have to let me be your provision as well. I mean, I just think that's amazing. And I love that, like that truth, that's that, that idea that God says, I don't want to just protect you, but I want to provide for you as well. In fact, one of the things I hate that preachers do is they take one word that starts with one letter and they put it with another word that starts with that same letter and they try to make a whole sermon out of provision and protection, the, the two P's and the, oh, it drives me crazy. <laughs> I joke about that a lot in our church, but it's the reality right here. God says, I'm your shield and I'm your reward or I'm your provision, your supply, whatever you need me to be. So in this moment, I want you to understand Yes, we are all walking through this virus together. Yes, we're all walking through this together. But in the midst of it, you again, you don't have to be like everyone else in the world. You don't have to have the same fear that everyone else has. God's word for all of us is this. I am your shield and I am your exceedingly abundant provision. Now, knowing that, again, I want you to believe God for more. In fact, confess that over your life today. Um, let's keep going, though, because I'm coming to something and we're already 25 minutes into this. Flip over with me to Romans chapter 4. And again, I know we shared most of this on Sunday, but I think it's important for us to recover some of this because uh, for this reason, there's some people who are watching this who didn't see that Sunday um, tidbit we did with my mom. Go back and watch that too. My mom is really cool. I enjoyed doing that with her. Now, Romans chapter four, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I've shared this enough online at church last Sunday. In Romans chapter four, Paul says, Abraham found something. And whatever Abraham found, it applied to his flesh. He found something according to his flesh. Uh, now, what did Abraham find? Now, when it comes to the flesh, I want to be really careful. Some people say that the flesh is um, all our sin. The flesh is the, the evil part of us. Let me say that Paul did say, in my flesh dwells no good thing. Yes, that is true. But I want you to understand, in this context, when he uses the word flesh, he's not talking about sin. He's not. He's talking about flesh in the sense of my desire to do something good so that God will be good to me. Now, when you understand that, it kind of changes the dynamic here. Again, he's not saying uh, the flesh is that part of me that says, uh, oh, I want to do all the bad things. I want to go do something bad or, you know, I want to steal this or I want to, um, you know, I want to take something that doesn't belong to me or, you know, X, Y, and Z, you fill it in. You know, it's not that part of you that says I want to do bad things. The flesh is actually the part of you that says I want to do something good so that God will be good to me. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's look at the context. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm reading from the New King James, which is the best translation. I had a conversation with one of my coworkers about that today. Romans chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was made righteous or justified by works. Now again, flesh and works. If God made Abraham right by works, by what he did, he has something to brag or boast about, but not before God. Now, if God said, Abraham, you are right with me because you're good. You're the best person on earth. I'm going to make you righteous. 
then he could brag in front of the rest of us. Of course, he couldn't brag in front of God, but he could brag in front of the rest of us. But verse 3, for or because, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So right here, what did he find according to his flesh? He found that even though he wanted to do good things, even when he did bad things, it's not all the bad things in the world couldn't take away the gift that God gave him. Now, again, I want to be really careful, and I hope you don't miss this part, this point, which is really cool to me. Abraham found, according to his flesh, that when he tried to do good things, or even when he failed, it didn't matter, because God didn't take away the gift that he gave him. And the gift that he gave Abraham was the gift of being righteous. Now, again, I want you to understand this, because what I'm saying is this. When you realize, like Abraham, who in this context is our father, we are the seed of Abraham, right? In this context, what God is saying is this. I'm sorry, what Paul is saying by the unction of the Holy Spirit is this. Because God has given you a gift and Abraham's sin couldn't take that gift away, neither can your sin take that gift away. Then what does it mean? You are right with God by faith. And if you are right with God by faith, God is never going to take that away from you. Now, listen. If God is never going to take that away from you, that means every promise that belongs to the righteous person belongs to you. Meaning, in this moment, in 2020, with everything that's going on in the world, if God's promise is, I'll never take it away from you, then you can be sure that the promise that belongs to the righteous person belongs to you right now. God's promise of protection for every righteous person is yours. God's promise for provision to every righteous person that's yours. In the middle of everything going on, you can relax. You can open your mouth and say, Heavenly Father, I'm glad. Thank you that you have a, you've made me a promise. You will never take this away from me. And because you'll never take away the gift you gave to me, thank you that you will supply for me. I may, may not see where the supply is right now. I may not see the protection yet, but let me say this. You have a promise and a covenant that for every person that is right by faith, this is what you will do. And like Abraham, you will never take that gift away. Likewise, you'll never take it away from me. Now, let's keep going real quick because I want to come to something. In verse 4, he says, Now to the one who works, the one who's trying to be good, the wages are not counted as grace. Why? They're counted as a debt. You know, when you go to work, you get a paycheck. That paycheck is not a gift. That paycheck is not grace. It's not unearned, undeserved. No, that paycheck is earned. That paycheck is deserved. I work for it. I deserve it. So it's not a debt. So... But if it is grace, if I, don't, if I go to work and I don't do any work, but I still get a paycheck, that's called grace, <laughs> meaning it's unearned, undeserved. So look right here. He says, but to the one, in verse 5, but to the one who does not work, but believes on God, who makes righteous or justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Then you come to verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness. In fact, in the Greek, it's the word plural. It's blessednesses. In fact, there's so many blessings. But watch this. Just as David also describes the many blessings of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Right here. We're going to verse 7 and 8, and then we're going to go somewhere else. Look at verse 7. David said this, and Paul is quoting from Psalm 32. David said this. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Then he says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Who you see that? Now, one more time. Blessed is the man whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Now, again, he describes the blessedness. What makes this man so blessed? 
is because when he sins, listen, when he sins, God doesn't credit his sin to him. Now, this man is not blessed when he doesn't sin. He's blessed because when he sins, God doesn't credit his sin to him. Now, what am I saying for all of us? David looked at you in 2020 in the mid middle of this crazy pandemic. David looked at you in the middle of this crisis. He saw you at work. He saw you in the grocery store. He saw you in the bank. He saw you in your car. I mean, come on. David looked ahead and David, by the Holy Spirit, saw you in the midst of this crisis. And David realized you are making mistakes. You are sinning. You're doing everything you shouldn't be doing. And yet, because you're making a mistake... God should not be protecting you. God should not favor you. God should treat you just like everybody else in the world. But in this moment, David looked at you and David said, man, you are blessed because God is not counting any of your sin against you. Yes, you just cut someone off on the road. Yes, you just said some words you probably shouldn't have said. Yes, you just looked at somebody and had some thoughts you probably shouldn't have had. Or yes, you did all these things. But all the things combined in this moment in 2020 when God should not be protecting you. God should not be good to you. God should not be doing all this stuff for you because you don't deserve it. He looked at you and said, my God, you are blessed because God is not counting any of your sins against you. Even in the moment you do it, God isn't crediting any of your sin against you. Man, I wish I could live in a time like that. I mean, come on. This is the this is the utter this is grace. That's grace. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Or right here, Romans 4, 7 and 8. It's beautiful. Now I want you to understand with everything that's going on, God is being gracious. God is not, God is being gracious. God is gracious. And I want to be very careful to make sure that we, we understand that. God is gracious. Alright? Now do me a favor. Turn with me to Psalm 91. We're encouraging our church to read Psalm 91 every single day. Psalm 91. Now, this is where we're going to kind of deviate a little bit from what we were sharing last Sunday. And it's not going to be much of a deviation, but it's enough for me that I'm excited. I wanted to share it in a Bible study. Here we go. Psalm 91. Now, look at this. In Psalm 91, we're going to read Psalm 91 down. Um, let's just read it down to verse 4. Psalm 91, verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. And don't forget, that word pestilence is Old English for disease. Surely, one more time, surely, not maybe, not most of the time, but surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Verse 4, he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Now, I want you to understand something right here. Right here, he doesn't allude to the fact, and this is what I didn't share Sunday. He doesn't allude to the fact that you run to God is giving you a refuge. Let me say it like this. God is not saying go here for a refuge. Or go there for a shelter. When you hear the word refuge, and again, that's not a term we use a lot in 2020. What he's literally saying is, God is my fortress. God is my castle. God is my protection in that sense. But notice, he's not saying God shows me where to be protected or he shows me where to go. He's saying God himself is that. It's not a geographical location. It's what he is. God has become my protection. God has become my fortress. So because, because I live there, because I live in him, because I'm in him, and Christ is in me, literally, what he's saying is this. 
He has become my refuge and he has become my fortress. He himself is it. Now, because it's not a geographical location, what that means is this. Whether you're at home, whether you're in the grocery store, whether you're at a concert, whether you're at work, it doesn't matter because God himself is your shield. Again, I mean, you know, processes in the middle of 2020 where we're keeping a six foot social distance. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't follow that rule. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is as you obey the law and as you observe your social distancing over the next weeks, what I'm saying is for you, keep this in your mind. God himself is your protection. God himself is your fortress. He himself in you, he is your fortress. He is your castle. He is your refuge. I love, I mean, I just think that's an awesome concept. He himself is it. Now, when you look at the story of Abraham, he didn't say, Abraham, I will give you uh, a shield and I will give you an exceedingly great reward. He told Abraham, I am your shield and I am your exceedingly abundant supply. Again, you're not looking for something outside. You see, in the world, we have to look for something outside so that we can protect ourselves. But in Christ, God doesn't want you to look outside. He wants you to look inside. Where, excuse me, God doesn't want you to look outside. He wants you to look inside where he is. And in him, you will find everything that you need for your outside. You know, I was listening to a pastor one time. He made a comment. He said, you know, God never created humankind or mankind, whatever. He never created mankind uh, to be, uh, I'm trying to think what the word is. I can't remember how he worded it to be dependent on outside sources. And I said it this way. He said, when you think about all of creation, when God made the animals, or let's think about plants first. When God made plants, the clothing of the plant is the protection of the plant. Now, I know that's kind of a weird idea, but think about it this way. Jesus said, look at the lilies of the field in Matthew chapter 6, I want to say, 7. I can't remember. I think Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus said, look at the lilies of the field, the lilies, the flowers, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet they are dressed better than Solomon was in all his glory. Now you look at Solomon, you look at a, a lily. Solomon could put on the finest clothes, and yet with the finest, most expensive clothes, he was not nearly as beautiful as a little flower in a field. Now when you think about that, think about it. What is the flower dressed with? Nothing. The flower's glory and beauty comes from within it. If you try to take off the clothing of the lily, you kill the flower. So you understand what I'm saying? The lilies of the field or the, the, the flowers in the field, they don't have to be clothed. They themselves have the clothing that grows from within them. Now, again, I know this is a really weird concept, but my point is this. Us, we have to buy clothes and put clothes on us to be beautiful. But what Jesus is saying, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the flowers. God dresses the flowers and he makes everyone beautiful in his time. Solomon did everything he could. He spent all his money to be beautiful, and yet he could never even come close to the lilies of the field. Now, think about this concept. When he looks at animals, every animal, where do they get their clothing from? Where do they get their clothes from? From within them. Uh, you know, I have two dogs. When you look at their dogs, you know, people are, I'm not going to call people stupid. I would never call someone stupid for putting clothes on their animal. I will never do that. I might think it, but I'll never actually say it. No, I'm just saying. But, you know, we put clothes on our animal. Uh, but we, we know that it's a weird thing because, you know, animals don't need clothes put on them. Their clothing grows from within them. God made animals self-sustaining, just like he made the lilies of the field self-sustaining. When it came to men, when it came to mankind, he did the same thing. He clothed Adam and Eve 
with his glory. So yes, they didn't have clothes on, but they were clothed with his glory. And that same glory was emanating from within them, coming out of them. It was only when they sinned that they saw what they were not supposed to see. That glory faded away. It moved. And then they realized, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> we don't have that anymore covering us. So again, what am I trying to say? When God says, this is what I am for you, I am your shield. He doesn't want you to look outside. He wants you to look inside. You were not made to try and be um, dependent on X, Y, and Z. You weren't made to be dependent on everything else that the world can give you. Let me say this. And I want to say this as carefully as I can. You were not created. And I only want to say this for people in our church. I'm glad a lot of other people are watching this. I want to be really careful. People in our church, you were not created to be completely and totally dependent on medicine. You were created to be completely and totally dependent on your heavenly father. Because when you are 100% dependent on him, he will sustain you. Now, in the meantime, take your medicine. <laughs> in the meantime, follow the doctor's orders. But while you're following what the doctor tells you, while you're observing your social distancing, while you're doing the things that you're, you know, your your therapist or your psychiatrist or whatever, while you're doing what your doctor has prescribed you to do, always remember that God has better. Your heavenly father has better. And he wants you to pursue the better. He wants you to pursue what he has for you. Pursue that life that says, I don't have to depend on these pills. Pursue that life that says, I don't have to depend on this therapist. Pursue that life that says, I don't have to depend on something outward. I can depend on who he is to me inward. He himself in me is my shield. He in me is my protection. I don't have to be afraid to go to the grocery store tomorrow because my, my refrigerator is empty. He's given me the supply. I have the money. So I need to go to the grocery store. But you know what? I don't have to be afraid. Because you know what? He is my protection. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. In him I will trust. And then you come to what? Verse 3. He will deliver me from every trap of the fowler and he will deliver me from what? Every disease. Everyone. No matter how bad it is, he will deliver me from every single one. Man, I love Psalm 91. In fact, look at this. Uh, let's skip down. We're going to get stuck on Psalm 91. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, he says, Because you have made the Lord who is, not who has provided, but who is my refuge. Even the Most High, your dwelling place. What does he say? Verse 10, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Now, and then you read verse 11, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Again, he'll keep you at the right place at the right time. What are we trying to say here? Don't look at God and say, God, show me where to go. God, show me where not to go. God, don't get me wrong. If the Lord tells you go here or go there, you know, listen to the unction of the Holy Spirit. Do what the Lord tells you to do. But at the same time, look, don't forget, you were not created to be afraid and terrified your whole life going, do I go here or do I go there? God created you to flow and let the Holy Spirit keep you where you need to be. In fact, don't even make it so spiritual. Right here, he'll give his angels charge over you. Trust that his angels are keeping you where you need to be. Trust that he will always make sure you are at the right place at the right time. And because you can trust that he's doing that for you, you can relax. You don't have to worry. Should I not go? Should I go? Should I do this? Should I not be here? Can I not be there? You can relax. When everyone else is terrified, you can be a foundation or, or let me say it like this. You can be a lighthouse of hope. Oh my God. I sound like preachers back in the day. I don't know what happened to me, but you can be that. You can be that lighthouse of hope that when people are terrified in the middle of this coronavirus, you don't have to be because you know, you know, he is your fortress. He's your refuge. Anyways. Some of my coworkers are like, where was this at work? I told you, I keep it separate. I love you. I love you. Anyways, 
let's keep going. Now, when you look at everything that he says this, and I'm going to bring this to a close. I'm going to share a story with you, and I'll close with this because we were already at 43 minutes. And I want to say thank you for sticking it out with me. When you look at it like this, think about it this way. When David fought Goliath, think about what Goliath was to Israel. Goliath was a death sentence to Israel. In fact, if you remember the story, I think it's in 1 Samuel, if I'm not mistaken. Goliath comes out onto the battlefield for 40 days and 40 nights. What he comes out says this. Israel is on one side of the mountain, uh, on one side of the valley on a mountain. And the Philistine army is on the opposite side of the valley on another mountain. In fact, when we went to Israel uh, with my mom, Wanda Edwards Travel Tours. Shout out to everyone uh, who's linked up with Wanda Edwards Travel Tours because you will be going to Israel. Maybe not this year, but you will be going next year by the grace of God. And it is a trip unlike any other. I, I recommend everyone go to Israel at some point in your life. And why not go with my mom? Because she has the best trip you can uh, get. But anyways, <laughs> that said, when we went to Israel, we got to go to the Valley of Elah where that whole battle took place with David and Goliath. And uh, we, we all got to take a rock from the brook. Anyways, irrelevant. Uh, what are we talking about? David and Goliath. <laughs> so in that story, uh, Goliath comes out and he says, we don't need to have a whole bloodbath. We don't need to have a big fight. Let's do it this way. This is what we'll do, okay? We will send out one champion and he will fight one of your champions. And whoever fights, all right, if the Philistine champion wins, all of Israel will, you've lost the battle. You have to become our servants. But if the Israeli Jewish champion wins, all right, all the Philistines, we will concede that we lost. We will be your servants. Fair? And they decide that's fair. So just as they get ready to fight, all of a sudden Goliath comes out. I know it's Goliath. I said Goliath said it. It's not Goliath who said it. It's the Philistine army that said it. So anyways, Goliath comes out onto the battlefield and Israel realizes, oh man, we agreed to this and we didn't know that Goliath of Gath was with them. <laughs> so anyways, Goliath comes out and he stands out there every single day for 40 days and he just talks junk about the God of Israel. He just talks junk about the Israelites. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he just talks junk to all the to the to the entire Israeli army. And for 40 days and 40 nights, not one Jew stands up and says, let me fight this giant. Let me go out and win. Now, keep in mind, when you look at Goliath, Goliath to the average average person, Goliath was a death sentence. When David showed up on the battlefield, he looked at the he looked at Saul and said, Saul, you know, I, I believe that I can fight him. I believe I'll win. I believe that the Lord will be with me and I'll win. And Goliath, and Saul said this to David. He said, David, you're a young teenager. All right. Yes, you might have fought a lion. Yes, you might have fought a bear. And yes, you might have won both of those fights. But this man has been fighting since he was a baby. And he is a well-experienced fighter. This man, I'm paraphrasing, this man is a death sentence for anyone who steps on the battlefield to fight him. And David looks at the king and says, but my God will he'll provide for me. He will protect me. He'll give me this victory. Now, again, I'm paraphrasing a lot of that story. Go back and read that story for yourself. But when you look at Goliath, keep in mind, Goliath stood on the field and he just shouted at the Israeli army for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, let me say this. 40 is an interesting number. 40 is the number of a generation. The Israelites walked through the wilderness for 40 years. And God said, no one from this generation will go into the promised land. So 40 is the number of a generation. Now, I can show you some more details, but I won't. Again, this is Bible study. We've gone long enough. I'm going to let this one go. Um, but 40 speaks of a generation. Now, understanding that, what I want to say is this. When you realize, uh, my mind just went blank. Sorry, Goliath, 40. When you realize Goliath actually never had to swing a sword at anybody. In fact, if you read the entire story of David and Goliath, Goliath probably actually never even took his sword out of its sheath. 
He didn't need to. All he had to do was talk to God's people. And just by simply talking to God's people, he paralyzed every single one of the soldiers. Think about it. He didn't have to fight anybody. He didn't have to kill anybody. All he had to do was stand there and talk to them. And by simply talking to them, he paralyzed every single one of them. Now, I look at God's people in the situation that we're in right now. And I realize that we are in a very interesting place in this, not just in this country, but in the world. We're at a really interesting place right now. This virus has taken a lot of lives. It's a, it's a lot of people are coming up contaminated. I mean, a lot of, it's, 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 it's wrecking a lot of people's lives. It's messing up our livelihood. It's changing probably forever the way we interact with people. I mean, it is. It's, it's, it's changing a lot. Just this simple virus. But keep in mind, Goliath didn't have to kill anybody. All he had to do was talk. And by simply talking, he paralyzed God's people. How many of God's people have been paralyzed by this virus that has not shown up at your front door yet, but it has just simply paralyzed you? And like all the other soldiers that they were probably looking around, they themselves are paralyzed. Who am I to stand on the battlefield and fight this giant if all my other soldiers, uh, soldier brothers here at this battle, if everyone else, no one else is moving, why should I step on the battlefield and fight him? I mean, come on, how many of God's people have become paralyzed just by what they see on TV? Who will stand up like David and say, no, 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 no. We have a promise. We have a promise and we have a covenant from the God who created this universe that he will protect us. He's already given us the victory over this. Now, knowing that, I want you to keep in mind, David made a comment. I'm sorry, not David, Peter. Peter said, Satan, our enemy, goes about like a roaring lion. And I'll make this connection. I know I'm bringing this to a close. He said Satan goes about like a roaring lion, like a lion that just roars all the time. When you watch a nature uh, nature exhibit or nature show on TV or watch it on the internet, <laughs> whatever you watch it on, when you watch the geographic, whatever, National Geographic or something along those lines, when you watch a lion, when they're about to go and they're about to attack their prey, if you ever watch it closely, you'll never see a lion come running out of the, the, the shrubs just roaring as loud as they possibly can. They don't do that. What lions do is they creep really, really low and they get as close as they can without being seen. And it's quiet because they know that their prey many times is faster than they are or more agile than they are. And if they're going to get their prey, they have to be as quiet as they can and hope that they can surprise attack their prey so that they can catch them. But that's not what Satan does. And that's not what our enemy does. Our enemy goes about like a roaring lion, yelling as loud as it possibly can. They yell as loud as they can. For what reason? No. And I'll say this. A lion that has to roar to make someone afraid of them. Think about this. Where is the power of a lion? I know lions, you know, their powers and their paws, they themselves are strong, strong animals. But when you look at a lion where the actual strength, I mean, just bear with me, the strength is actually in their teeth. They might be able to hit you to the ground or might be able to pull you to the side, but their real power lies in their teeth. A lion that has to roar to intimidate you. Our enemy, let me say this, Jesus in the book of Colossians, the Bible says that he disarmed the devil at the cross. Through the work of the cross, Jesus has disarmed Satan. That means he took his only weapon from him at the cross. Now, again, going back to our lion analogy, the real weapon that the enemy had against all of us, he took that weapon away from him. He took the teeth out of the lion, so to speak. So Peter says he goes about as a roaring lion. What's he trying to do? He's trying to intimidate you with his words. He wants you to see all the people around you getting sick. He wants you to see all the news and all the media. And he wants to see everything going on in the world. And he wants you to have that thought. He wants you to hear what he's saying to you. He wants you to hear his words. You are going to get it next. 
You are next on the list. He wants to tell you that you're going to get it. Not only are you going to get it, you're not going to have enough money. You're not going to have enough supply. You're not going to have this. You won't have all these things. You are in trouble and you need to figure a way out. I mean, come on. He's roaring at you. He's yelling at you as loud as he can. He wants you to look at yourself. He wants you to take your eyes off of Jesus, take your eyes off your heavenly father. And he wants you to look at what's in front of you. And he wants you to say, he wants you to look at, look at Goliath. Look at Goliath. There's no way you will win. And by simply talking to God's people, yelling at God's people like a roaring lion, he's paralyzed so many of God's people. But I have good news for you. We don't need everyone to go out and fight this battle for us. Everyone doesn't have to join arms and say, we're going to go out, we're going to fight this battle, we're going to win this war. I think it's great that God's people come together and pray. I'm not against that. We need to come together and pray in spite of the six-foot social distancing. We need to pray. <laughs> and probably, you know, we can do it over Facebook. But my point is this. There was one who stepped on the battlefield for everyone else. One person stepped on that battlefield that day, and his name was David. Now, in his name is the secret that I believe God has for everyone here. And it's a secret. I'm going to close with this. It's a secret for you. You stuck it out with me for 52 minutes. Thank you. In David's name is the secret that I believe is the winner for all of us. David's name in the Hebrew means beloved. Again, it's beloved. One who knows that he is loved by God. In fact, I like to say it this way. Two words. Be loved. Put the two together. Beloved. But separate them. It's someone who is being loved. God wants you to know you are loved. But you know what? You don't have to win this battle. Our heavenly David, the greater son of David, stepped onto the battlefield for all of us. You know what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? At the cross, he took all our sin. At the cross, he took our defeat and gave us his victory. At the cross, he took our loss and gave us his win. So that now, right now, in the middle of all of this, we could say, as David is, so are the rest of us. David went onto the battlefield and he fought Goliath and he killed Goliath with a simple slingshot and a stone. He killed Goliath. And right there when he killed Goliath, as David was a winner, likewise all of us are winners. Likewise, as Jesus won at the cross for all of us, all of us now become winners. Now, what's the secret? You say, well, Matthew, again, it's my cousin, it's my sister, it's my best friend, it's people that I know. Yeah, you know, there are people who are falling sick. I'm not saying that no one will ever become sick that's not a believer. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is I'm challenging you to believe God for more. Believe God. And in spite of whatever symptoms you get, I'm telling you, out of your own mouth, tell God, you have a promise for, you have a promise for me. I am like the rest of Israel. I, you know what? I am like right now, I am, I'm going to be like David. I'm going to be loved by you because my greater David stepped onto the battlefield and won this fight for me. And by his stripes, I am healed. By his payment, I am healed. By his victory, I am a winner. Because of what Jesus did, I am a winner. Now, let me say this. In a lot of ways, you look at the difference between Saul and David, and I'll close with this. When you look at the difference between Saul and David, you have a really interesting dynamic there. When you look at Saul, Saul belonged to the Israeli army, right? And Saul was king, right? Saul was that, a type of a believer who wants to reign in life. He wants to reign in life, all right? Saul is that believer who, who has a mandate from God, I want you to reign. And we talked about that in church too. But anyways, Saul wants to reign in life. But Saul can't because Saul is looking at his own armor. He's looking at his own weapons. He's looking at his what he brings to the battle. And he realizes all his experience, all his armor, everything he has, he can't win. So he just gives up. And instead he just, oh God, please send somebody else. But when you look at David, 
David looked at everything that Saul had, everything Saul tried to give him. Wear my armor, take my weapons. And when he put it on, he said, man, this stuff just doesn't fit me. Translation, I can't win in life knowing, I'm sorry, I can't win in life by looking at what I did good or bad. I will only win in life by looking at what Jesus did right for me. Do you get the difference? I can't win in life by thinking, well, I was good enough this week or I was good enough last week, so God's going to protect me and my family. I will never win that way. If I'm going to win in life, it has to be because Jesus was obedient. If I'm going to win in life, it has to be because Jesus won. If I'm going to win in life, and let me say this, beloved, and I'll close with this. If we are going to win and walk through this cloud, this fog, whatever you want to call it, this moment in history, if we want to walk through this together and be able to say that Jesus has become our refuge, Jesus has done all of this, what it's going to take is a group of people to say, I am someone that Jesus loves. I am God's beloved. And it has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with Jesus. It's not how good I was in the middle of this crisis. It's not how bad I was. It's not how careless I was by going here or doing that. It's not how, how, how much Lysol I used or how much disinfectant I used. It has nothing to do with those things. But it's got everything to do with the fact that Jesus loves me. And in him, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. And he'll never let any evil befall me or let it come to my home or, my, or, or where I, anywhere near me. In him, I'm always going to be safe. My prayer for everyone is this. In the middle of this crisis and storm, that his peace will keep you or keeping your mind on him. As you keep your mind on him, you will be in perfect peace. I think that's in Jeremiah, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, my point is this. I want you to keep your mind focused on what Jesus did. God wants you to be at peace in the midst of this crazy storm. Jesus fell asleep in the boat while they were crossing the other side. But you know, when he jumped up and they said, Jesus, we're going to die. We're, don't you care? And maybe one night we'll share that too. But he did, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And he jumped up and he didn't turn around and say, oh my God, you're right. The storm is crazy. He jumped up <laughs> and he calmed the storm first. Then he calmed their hearts. I love it. So Jesus is more interested in your peace than you are. So again, my prayer for everyone tonight, and I'm going to pray in just a second, is that you'll have peace in the midst of the storm. So let me pray for you, and then I'll get off of here, and you can get back to your lovely Friday night at 828. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everyone that stuck it out for me tonight, stuck it out with me tonight, or stuck it out in this uh, in this little Facebook segment that we're doing right here uh, in the middle of this corona COVID-19 crisis. Father, I thank you that in the midst of this crazy storm, you are protecting everyone that belongs to you. And Father, more so those who say that we are right with you by faith, I thank you that your true protection is manifesting in their lives even tonight. And so Father, I thank you that you are carefully watching over everyone. Uh, and Lord, I thank you that through through before this is over, there will be a testimony that you are not only real, but you are manifesting yourself in our lives. So Father, we thank you for being who only you could be in our life. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. That said, tune in with us. We'll be here on Sunday. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, tune in. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.